Hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin armed only with food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. Today we have the hilarious young Denver comedian Joshua Emerson, or Joshua Danger Emerson, if you like. Um, Joshua has been performing comedy all over the state of Colorado and beyond the last few years, making audiences laugh and learn and probably cry from both. Um, Oh yeah, he's also a Navajo guy telling jokes that only a Native American really can. And look up his comedy works set on uh, YouTube um, after listening to this episode. Um, or just go see Joshua do stand-up basically everywhere in Colorado and surrounding states. Uh, Josh is just amazing. And, and I think he says a lot of stuff other people are afraid to. Um, it's important to make people un- uncomfortable sometimes, I think. Um, I am playing drums with uh, Rolling Harvest this Saturday, March 18th at the Magic Rat in Fort Collins. Um, come say hello or come up and give me um, a pep talk because I've been thinking a lot about this live episode of Mile High Stash that we're recording at number 38 in Denver on Saturday, April 1st, um, because as many times as I've played the drums on stage, I've never really talked on stage, and this is going to be a, a new thing for me. Fox Feather is going to be playing a set and then getting interviewed by me, and then I'm playing another set. So I really hope you come down and check it out um, in Denver at number 38. 7 p.m. on um, the Saturday, April 1st. Um, um, who knows? Maybe if you ask a question from the audience during the Q&A session, you'll end up on an episode. Sparks will fly, that's for sure. Anyway, here's my conversation with the Denver stand-up comic, uh, Joshua Emerson, who is a co-founder of Dead Room Comedy and managing director of Creative Nations, a permanent on-site establishment for indigenous artists at the Dairy Arts Center in Boulder. Um, This episode of Mile High Stash is sponsored by nobody um, because I think that what Josh has to say is way too important to me brought to you by anybody. To paraphrase Neil Young, this episode's for you. Joshua Emerson is here with us, stand-up comic and uh, um, Fort Lewis alumni. That's right. Economics, baby. <laughs> Economics? That's right. Supply and demand yeah. working opposite ways, okay? <laughs> Never forget it. <laughs> so um, I wonder if there are a lot of stand-up comics who have um, economics degrees. Do you think that's a – is that a thing? Um no, <laughs> uh, there was one, um, and he built himself as the economist comedian. Who was that? Um, I don't even know his name, um, but 
I just know that he came through town and gave me his card. I, I, I don't know his name now. Not that famous, to be honest. Yeah. But a lot of corporate gigs, which is good money, but he's not going to get famous that way. And right. So I liked it because I've always liked game theory and and uh, behavioral economics side of it. The numbers, I think, eh, the, the, the conclusions that economics gives are uh, um, suspect, I think. But yeah. the game theory part of it is that so interesting to me to really look at how people have acted and then to try to guess how they're going to act in the future based on that that's the interesting part analytics yeah the analytics well but i'm saying is that you can't really predict but it is interesting to look at the data and see what you can because you can reveal preference i think is so strong in terms of understanding a person how Um, do you do that with comedy like like focus groups I mean, every every show is a focus group. Yeah. You know, are they laughing or are they not laughing? That's Mm -hmm. the point. And so um, that's why you got to get on stage. That's why you got to do sets. Um, The higher quality the the showcase, the better the feedback is going to be for sure. But it's always important to throw in a couple mics, get a couple dead rooms in there, be able to start in a room that has zero energy, and then you bring the party. You bring the fun. Speaking of, so this venue that you have started in Denver, what's it called? Dead Room. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. dead room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah uh, dead room comedy. That's that's sort of our mantra. Is like, yeah. if you can be funny in a dead room, you can be funny anywhere. Yeah. And so it's always back to, can you create something from nothing? And so. So let's start from the start. Where are you from? Yeah, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, so I talk so stupid. I'm dehydrated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I love it though. It's, it's, I'm a desert boy. I still drink yeah. tequila when I'm happy. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I grew up with a lot of brown people. Mm. It was just. Uh, it was, <laughs> my dad moved back. My parents got divorced. My dad moved back to Phoenix so that'd be closer to the reservation, mm-hmm. and that's where my mom lived. So I lived in Phoenix during the school year, and I'd go back to the res during winter and summer vacations. Your parents are both native or no? No, my dad's hella white. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like worked in civil service his whole life as a, an attorney. Uh, was a city manager for a couple of years and mm-hmm. um, instilled in me a sense of uh, service or love through service. And uh, yeah, he's one of the good ones. You know what I mean? One of the good yeah. Caucasians. But um, There aren't many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, there are a few look, yeah. you know. But I... I I, I I love my dad, but he's very white, and uh, I love my mom, and she's very Navajo. So it was a kind yeah. of an interesting way to grow up, you know. So how long did you live on the rest? So ten years, yeah. off and on. But it was, like I said, it was just going back in between the two places, hmm. and then I uh, lived in Yellowstone for a bit. Oh wow! Yeah, in the park. In the park, Mammoth Hot Springs. Shout out, baby. I've been there. Yeah. 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 I work for Zantara, which is the hotels oh. up there. And uh, yeah, with my mom, which was fun. Spent a summer together living up there, working there. And the oh, the wildlife up there is Oh, it's incredible. Wild. The first time that we went to Yellowstone, um, we drove through Grand Teton. Uh-huh. And the moment that we were in the park, I swear to God, like... A buffalo walked right up to my car. It was like, we're here. This is what we were expecting. Yeah, exactly. They're like, welcome. (laughs) You could go back to Yellowstone 50 times and not see the whole park, too. It's a new experience every time. Yeah, and 
the wildlife there, because it's the first park, the wildlife there is the most developed. Yeah. And the bison there are different than any bison anywhere. They're huge. They're mm-hmm. huge. And yeah. when they're in mating season, ah, like their tongue's all out. And they're like, not ramming cars, but they're staring them down. Yeah. Like, you want some of this. One of the best books you can buy is uh, Deaths in Yellowstone. And it goes through all the tourist deaths, oh, wow. all the deaths in the 1800s, all the deaths, you know, people jumping into hot springs. Uh, there was just a guy recently, actually, who put his hand in the hot spring. Does it all disintegrate? Like, it's that hot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's exactly what happened. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the bears. The bears will eat you up there. Uh, yeah. They're not like the little black bears around here that we mm, see. They're, they're not like grizzlies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they, they will. Don't, don't eat in your tent, you know. Put them up. <laughs> put it up high. Otherwise, they will eat you. They will eat yeah. you. Like, yeah, they yeah. will. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, they'll climb up a tree, they'll climb up a mountain. Mm-hmm. There's no getting away from them if they got you in your sights. So yeah. don't let them get you <laughs> in the sights. <laughs> so uh, Yellowstone and and then Denver. Like no, right then Durango. That. Oh, Durango for school. Yeah, yeah for school. Okay. Yeah, my girlfriend at the time she went back to school. Um, I went into banking, but we wanted to be someplace like in the mountains, and yeah. And then I went back for to get a degree in economics and. I was, like, part of Student Senate. I was part of American Indigenous Business Leaders. Like, got involved. It was my second time trying school. I'd flunked out the first time. Yeah. And um, it was great. Uh, We ended up breaking up. Uh, We had dated from 21 to 27. And we broke up right before I went back to school for my senior year. Yeah. So I spent my senior year like howling at the moon, listening to, to the Smiths. Uh, exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of, and it's and it's so nice because we had one of the biggest winners up in Durango that winter. Um, yeah, that was eighteen going into nineteen. Mm-hmm. Just just feats of snow, you yeah. know, like, and there's something about being in a mountain town where it is just piled snow. And you're just walking, and you feel like shit. Yeah, I love that time in my life. It's weird because it's full of grief and full of pain, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where it's so cathartic and it helps you yeah. evolve as a person. You know? Yeah. Yeah. New season. And then how'd you end up in Denver? Um, comedy. So I actually started comedy during that time. Yeah. Um, right before we broke up, I started comedy, and then when we did, I really like jumped into it. The Durango scene at the time had two open mics, and then a monthly showcase i was really hot mm. and i've always been like high energy correct charismatic and then it was great for me because it was such a soft scene it gave me an opportunity quickly and developed some friendships there mm-hmm. that carried on and we all went up to denver at the same time after we graduated college bunch of comics together bunch of comics yeah three yeah. of us yeah, yeah elliot weber and jacob jonas um and are they involved with the dead room yeah and so so we all graduated summer 2019 and we moved up that same summer and and then winter of 2019 is when we formed dead room so this makes you 32 31 31 okay you're close i want to i won't age you too much yeah i mean Mm -hmm. you can i'm happy to be 30 it's adult (laughs) adolescence i'm having a blast yeah yeah but uh yeah and then jeff stonic got joined Right, like I want to say, two months after we incorporated as LLC, we were like, "This guy's got it. Let's involve him real early on," and we started yeah. doing projects together from there. So, where is the Dead Room, and what was it before? Um, so, De- Dead Room Comedy is just the name of our company, 
and then we've had so a you do show. it in different places. Do it different places. Okay. Then we have a show called The Dead Room. Okay. And the premise of that show is the audience is supposed to stay silent, and it's a comedian's job to break them, usually within a minute. With, and they can do it with comedy. Yeah. They can do it. We had somebody stick a plunger up their derriere, and that broke the wow. broke the room. And we've had people call the strong arm of the law on stage. Frank Azar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite ones. That was an early one, too. Yeah, Noah Reynolds did that. That was funny. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. So that's like a monthly show we do. And we're doing it wide right right now, which is never. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so I'm, but we do. Coming up on 200 events that we've put on together wow. as a group. And, and how often? Um, we're, Right now we're cranking it out like 12, 12 a month. Wow. That's including a mic and a weekly show. Um, but I do Colorado Native, which is mm-hmm. a Native American show. It's one of the only Native American yeah. comedy showcases. Um, and then going to try to do a festival together this year. I'm applying for a grant. So I've been doing some like quarterly ones but jeff will do the the weekly one uh elliot's got a hot monthly one in broomfield and it's like we there's some projects where i don't touch it at all there's some where i'm supporting and then there's some where we all touch it uh that type of thing and so it's Mm -hmm. been nice we've been able to sort of mature together in 2022 and in 2023 we're doing our first show at comedy works together and yeah which is, yeah, February 1st for, yo, come out. All my exes live in Cap Hill. It's yeah. very Denver. Well, unfortunately, uh, this episode won't come out until after February 1st. After? So, well, well, you missed out. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> all right? You should have been there. It was fantastic. I already didn't tell you. It's fantastic. Um, who was the guy that had the joke about having sex with white women scalping? That's me. That's you? Yeah, I'm the only native one in the in, in the, the article. Group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which yeah, article? Yeah. I mean, there's one in Western. There was one in the Post. The way that I found out about you is because John Wenzel wrote yeah. an article. He's a homie. And there were some things that you said that were hilarious, but that was the one that that I was like, "This is great. <laughs> I, I got to talk to this guy on my show." Yeah. Yeah. So the joke is. Uh... Uh, every time I hook up with a white girl, I like to steal a scrunchie from her house and wear it on my wrist <laughs> like a scalp. That's the, uh, <laughs> that's just to give you, you know, it's a, we're family friendly, but uh, it's and then I've I wear scrunchies in my hair, yeah, um, just as part of the brand. It's just a fun thing to pick up. I feel like so it so if we see you with a scrunchie, it's going to be from a white chick. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm. Yeah. I, I'm in love with a white chick right now. So yeah. Right now, all my all my scalps are from her. You know. So all right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's that was never on purpose. I never like like I just I fell in love with one white girl when I was 21, and then I fell in love with another one when I was 30. Yeah. And that's just sort of how it happened. But hmm. um, yeah, it's crazy because I'm Navajo and we're a blood quantum tribe. So if we were to have kids, what is blood quantum? Exactly, it's uh, <laughs> uh, it's how they measure. It's it's a way that they sort of cut off whether or not you're Navajo or not. Mm-hmm. So when I because my mom is Navajo, my dad's white. When I was born, I got a certificate of Indian birth and it said fifty percent Navajo. Oh, oh wow! So my kid will have one that says twenty five percent Navajo if we had kids together. But and they'll technically still be enrolled in the Navajo tribe. But if they don't have 
a kid with somebody that's also Navajo and gets them back up to that 25%, my grandchildren wouldn't be eligible to be enrolled into the tribe. So they can't be one of those like one sixteenth. That's not. Yeah, exactly. So Cherokee, yeah. for example, if you can tie yourself back to the Dawes role via mm-hmm. descendancy, then you can, you're eligible to be enrolled into the tribe. And so I have a friend, he's, he's Choctaw. He's like one, 1032nd um, uh, Choctaw, and he's enrolled in the tribe. And so, which, isn't, isn't that wild? Just the math, the math on how it's many... It's mind-blowing that every tribe, I'm, I mean, it also goes to the point that all the tribes are different, and yeah. there are so many of them. Yeah. 700, was that, is that? Uh, that's like 470 right now. 470. There was a that are federally recognized, but I mean, yeah. federal recognition is a colonized system, and so yeah. like, what is? I, I, it, it's just, and then a whole bunch of those are Alaskan Native communities, mm. um, and so, I, it's it's one of those things you got to remember that Native Americans are not a monolith. Right, and so when you're talking to a native, you got to ask them. So, sort of, what tribal community are you from? And then they'll be able to. Then they have their own history and backstory and stuff like that. You gotta. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of. There's a big difference between a, being Ojibwe and being Navajo, being Diné, which is what I am. Right. And so, but it's cool. I mean, we we have similar struggles. We see each other. We, you know, there's definitely like a head nod. There's a community from being native. I think. There's even, um, you know, I was recently listening to an interview with uh, 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 Starlin, is that how you say his name? Starlin Harjo? Starlin Har- uh, Harjo, Star- yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, 1491s, Res Dogs, yeah. let's go. FX, baby. He was saying how Taika Waititi, even though he's indigenous from the other side of the world, right. saw lots of commonalities. Yeah, you know. yeah, and that's actually something I want to explore more. I'd love to go out to Australia Meet some Aboriginals. Yeah. Go out to New Zealand. Meet some Maoris. Go, up even like Vancouver and like in Canada. Meet some First Nations mm. and really just, what do we share? What do we? What can we learn from each other? What's different? Learn about each other and do that through the premise of comedy. Yeah, because I think comedy is uniquely. Um, I, I think it's unique in that it's able to give voice to, to communities that are like the minority communities because. It helps us talk about difficult things and then relieve it through a punchline that just makes everybody laugh and brings mm-hmm. everybody into community. And when you can talk about difficult things, you're able to be honest, more honest. And yeah. and so, yeah, I think seeing how that has manifested itself in these different communities is a, uh, is so interesting to me, and I want to see it. I have a question for you um, on that subject, but first... The uh, the angle, if you will, uh, of this podcast is um, five albums that um, you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the case of a zombie apocalypse. Yes. And uh, w- would you please give me your first two? First two. All yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, so these ones are like, they're like more historical for me. So I have to like, people who can eat people are the luckiest people in the world. It's by Andrew Jackson Jihad, who's now goes by AJJ. Yeah, they're a Phoenix folk punk band. Wow. Yeah, I love that album, man. That was like high school me to college me yeah. to a T. Um, yeah. Um, just, just Are these the, the train hopping kind of crust punk? 
Yeah. Guys. Also, yeah, yeah. They have like a whole song mm-hmm. about being bipolar, you know, mm-hmm. and that type of like just brutal honesty. Yeah. And that, but then like folk punk vibes where it's just like, you know, yeah. high energy and you're able to, you know, scream it out. Yeah. And then the next one is uh, Kanye West's album, which is tough. Like, how can you separate the artist from the art? But it, it just, the art was a part of my life and I have to figure that out myself. But because I have two Kanye West albums on here, I'll be honest. Wow, two? I know. Okay. That, that's how yeah. it was. I mean, bi, I'm bipolar, he's bipolar. Yeah. So for a long time, that really resonated with me. It's actually, I won't say dramatic, but it's just really sad for me seeing him leave his meds yeah. and sort of go into this state where he just has people in power, like enabling him to to not to not have a hold of it you know what i mean especially because he has kids that's my first exactly and it has impact you know yeah um yeah but anyways connie west's homecoming album i live my senior year of high school in wales which is in the united kingdom really yeah i did a, a study abroad thing my senior year yeah and uh that was one of the albums that i bought and i had like a little studio player and the person that I stayed, like my host dad, he mm-hmm. was a politician, and he would have us as a part of, like, like uh, staying with him. We would help him canvas. So, like, he would have us like go from door to door, just putting in uh, stuff into letter boxes for uh, different campaigns for the Lib Dems. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was one of the albums that I would just listen to on repeat. And wow. so those two very nostalgic for me. <laughs> Foundational Joshua. Don't forget. Um, uh, anybody listening that um, there is a Mile High Stash uh, Spotify playlist for every year I'm doing this show. And so uh, you can find uh, uh, Joshua's first two choices uh, if you haven't heard them, you know, on the Spotify playlist. Just oh, that's fantastic. Mile High Stash. So my question that I had for you is, yeah. is there is there any subject that you can't joke about? Ooh. There's definitely jokes. There's definitely things that you that are harder to joke about. Yeah, you know, the big R word is one of them, um, and it's hard to to make something funny. And if you're gonna talk about something that's going to bring up trauma in people, yeah, you gotta have an exit for it. So it becomes this thing is like, like, are you being irresponsible by trying to make jokes that are gonna hurt people? Yeah, and. And then it's there's this other thing is where you don't know what's funny until you try it. And mm-hmm. so then like the attempt becomes sacred. And so that that's that's a, I think it's very difficult with those those type of subjects. I love talking about race. And I've done I'd say Boulder actually is one of the hardest places to talk about race than anywhere else. Like even like Colorado Springs or Fort Collins, because when you're talking about race in terms of those communities, they, they sort of, their racism's out there in the open and they're okay about laughing about it. Yeah. You know, whereas you come up to Boulder, the racism, it's, I think there's less of it, but I think the one, the, the racism that is here is very, inside you know very hidden and it's very hard to reach and so there's something when you do bring it up that it makes people uncomfortable because they've compartmentalized it Mm -hmm. and so it's hard for them to find the funny in it because i don't know if they're ashamed or if they don't disagree or if they don't even are they even aware that they have it like stored away i think the biggest thing um speaking as a white person 
I'm in Boulder. Even though my skin isn't white, I don't know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you guys got great, you're very ethnically ambiguous. I didn't want to assume. Right. Um, I think people in Boulder, I know that there's a lot of talk about being, you know, practicing diversity, practicing being conscious and mindful, which are just these terms yeah. that don't really mean anything. And I think what happens is that we talk so much about that and don't have to practice it. Mm. Um, you know, because there's not actually diversity here. And so if there is racism here, I think it's, it's a lot of what you're talking about. And it manifests in sort of, you can talk about practicing acceptance and diversity all you want. Mm. But the moment somebody walks in a room, it's not like you and you, and you act different. Uh, there's racism right there. And yeah, I and I'll say as a person that jokes about race in multiple different you know communities, mm-hmm. Boulder's one of the hardest places to do it in, mm-hmm. and I think that that there's a reason for that. So. Yeah. Do you ever feel like <laughs> there are places that are mostly white that that almost um, try to say for minorities what they should be offended by? Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's this like big movement to be offended not even to say what you should be offended by but be offended on your behalf yeah um yeah uh yeah 100 percent. it's and it's tough because you want allies you want to like you want them to be right but then it's also like you have to educate even that you know yeah it's it's exhausting man <laughs> it's it's honestly exhausting because there's so many so many bad things that happen and so many people intending to be good that it ends up being a bad thing cuz they're they're missing the mark like they don't yeah. get it yeah and the best you can do is just try to make it better and you just try to make it better mm-hmm. and just hope that that creates a lineage so it's easier for the whoever comes behind you and so i've tried a- calling friends and just literally asking the question like what would help like what yeah. how would you want me to act in a certain situation and the and the answer it's it's not always the same but it's usually just immediate action and calling out racism in the moment especially when there are only white people in the room yeah when there's only white people in the room that's a hundred percent yeah because one of the biggest changes that you that i think you're seeing the progress with native issues is figuring out how to get natives seats at the table um, Mm. to get the native voices in the room so that there isn't and sometimes i mean i've been the only native in the room like the decision making room and it sucks but the only way we're going to get more people in those places is to continue to advocate to continue to encourage our young people to take on roles and responsibilities that are going to prepare them to to be that person in the room and be one of many hopefully yeah what can you recommend? I mean, l- there's not only uh, smoke signals and rest dogs, obviously. <laughs> I mean, um, I haven't seen Avatar, and I don't want to see Avatar. Um, I mean, I, I'm just there's so much wrong with it, and there's so much wrong with James Cameron. He has a terrible <laughs> quote about it, yeah. So. He said, for anybody who hasn't read this, he said that um, make, making Avatar made him think of the Sioux and how they should have fought harder. Yeah. Because if they could see the future, they would have fought harder. Yeah. Which is really offensive. 
Especially yeah. to somebody that doesn't. Like, he hasn't been to Pine Ridge. Mm-hmm. He doesn't fucking know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and not only that, I, I live a fantastic life as a Danette man. You know? I, mm. And I fight for that fantastic life. Right. It's like, so You're how still fucking fight. dare you? You know? Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. It's so frustrating. It's like to even like to think that they weren't motivated enough. Do you think motivation was part of why we're in this reservation system? Right. You know, nah. That's a it was, it's bomb. So yeah, I I haven't I haven't watched Avatar. Yeah. Are you? Uh, yeah. What was your question? I'm sorry. <laughs> got it, got the question yeah. is like you know I can complain and boycott you know all I want. Sure. But I think it's it's better to ask you know what should we what should we watch because I, I mean. I would rather watch a movie about indigenous people, but especially by and starring indigenous people, than watch this metaphorical thing. Oh, well, I mean, I got good news for you. There's more indigenous stories being told now than ever. Yeah. Illuminative um, is something that people can follow where they, their whole thing is trying to get more indigenous representation in media. Mm. Um, They... The Sundance has an indigenous labs. And so right now, currently, there's a couple short films that are being showcased at, at Sundance as a part of that. Um, Native American Media Alliance out in L.A. They put on Skins Fest out in L.A. They're coming up on, a, I think, over a decade now putting on that festival, which is all, all Native stories, all Native short films, um, and some features now. Um, and then I, I would also... I would. I would push people to come to live events. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, you can come to Colorado Native. And the next one's going to be at the Boulder Comedy Festival in the last weekend of June. But the Denver March powwow is one of the largest powwows in the country. Wow! Yeah, it's at it's a, yeah it's at the National uh, Western, and yeah, just twenty drums. You know, just hundreds of dancers. They're all competing for big money prizes, but it's one of the biggest on the Powwow Highway for these dancers towards the championships in Albuquerque at the Gathering of Nations. It's one of the biggest powwows, and it's here in Denver. Wow. You know? Yeah, so it's out every March. Just come out to that. Check it out. See, see, because they're gonna you're gonna see vendors. You're gonna see. And the vendors are going to go from traditional art to pop culture art. Stephen Paul Judd was there last year. like So you'll see uh, just like a snapshot of like the artists and the, sh- and the and the people that make stuff. And then you also see the dancers and the drums, which are still pushing. I mean, Pow Wow continues to be, there continues to be innovation in Pow Wow too, which is, yeah. and how we're dancing and, and, and how they're singing. And so... Um, I, uh, Denver Art Museum has uh, the Friendship Powell. It's a little bit smaller, but it's one of those things where, like Daniel Seawalker, she's in this Boulder area. She's putting, she just is starting opening up an exhibit at the Longmont Museum. Um, it is that's happening January twenty seventh as a grand opening, but it'll be open. To, like check it out, Daniel Seawalker's dope, and she's from Boulder. You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, that's, yeah, that's exactly, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, was that too much? I don't no, know. Yeah, that's exactly is... what I, like, that's exactly what I was hoping for. And instead of just, I'm not going to go see Avatar. It's like, no, what should I immerse myself in? What should I yeah. check out? Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, Chelsea at the Redline Contemporary Art Center, too. Check out her stuff. She's dope. Cool. 
Okay, albums number three and four. Three and four. Uh, let's see. What did I write? Oh, yeah, Drake. Uh, the one with the little kid and the blue thing. Uh, this was the one that I, wa- I listened to in Yellowstone, back to back to back to back. Just over and over. Well, yeah, because in Yellowstone, there's a... Like, it's all old military barracks that you're staying in, mm-hmm. and there's a basketball court. So I'll just take headphones and shoot shoot ball. Mm-hmm. A lot of this is just me spending time listening to music by myself. But, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I think liking Drake as a man is, 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 is very similar to liking Taylor Swift as a woman. Like, there's a lot of cringiness <laughs> to it. Uh, but there's also, like... It's part of the zeitgeist at the moment, and I don't know much about him as a person except he's he's a big Raptors fan. That's about all. That's, that's all. right. He that's is. A, yeah, I mean, I he about got it. a ring. You know, good for him. They gave him a ring. A hundred percent. Yeah, he's a part of the that. organization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's on the payroll. Uh, it's one of those things where he's like, it's just cringy. Some of the stuff that you talk about is cringy, and like I what? love seeing like Marvin's room. If you ever listen to Marvin's room, it's just like it starts off with him calling his ex-girl it's like a like a voice like a voicemail of of what she's saying and then it goes into the sappy thing about like you know like i'm better than your boyfriend now you should be with me and there's just a part of me that just needs to express it so i can move on and mature past it and so it's nice Mm. to have those but i mean because we all have immature feelings it's nice to have those voiced and have a home and then i can leave that in the song yeah. Type thing. Yeah. There are also things that you're into when you're young that like, uh, for me, that's like Master of Puppets uh-huh. and all the, the Cliff Burton era Metallica stuff that I was into when I was, I was eight or nine and like <laughs> so into it. And I think that if I heard it now for the first time, it might not be something that I would like, but it's, it sticks with you and you have a soft spot for it. Yeah. Uh, next one's Arctic Monkeys. Oh, sweet! Yeah, uh, the the bad one, the one that the, got them, the one that got him famous, the one with the black cover, and the and the thing. Is that, I, is that the one with fake tales of San Francisco on it? No, nah, it's the one with like, uh, "Are you mine?" and like, uh, "Do I?" Uh, don't call me when you're high. Um, and it's, <laughs> I love. I saw the we saw the Arctic Monkeys at the Ogden before that right as that album dropped, mm. and so I was like close enough to punch out turning the dick, you know what I mean, <laughs> from stage, and that but was you like, held yourself back from oh it was so hard not to <laughs> <laughs> no it, it, I just it was the best show I've ever seen just because that that was they're like it's right when they're popping off, but they're still like rock stars, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the Ogden is such a great venue to yeah. be that close. And, and, uh, they have such a great early catalog, you know? And, um, and then, so, and we got that album also in Yellowstone, but like we would travel every weekend to different parts of Montana or down South through Wyoming. And so listening to music, it was just, and it was just like, uh, and then go, we saw him again in Phoenix, and it was just a bunch of white girls, sorority mm. girls, totally different than we saw him in Denver at the Ogden. And that's when I, when I saw that shift, because where we saw them in Phoenix was, I mean, it held, I don't know, 15,000. Um, mm. So it was just this totally going to stadiums and, and seeing... Uh, you couldn't punch him in the dick in a oh, man, stadium. And it, it made me want to cry. 
<laughs> yeah. So what, I mean, you've accomplished a lot already. It feels like you're mm. part of a community in a, in a really important way already. I, I mean, you know? I hope so. Yeah. I've failed, you know, so many times in my <laughs> life. I flunked out of college. I, and when I did that, I joined the Marine Corps Reserves, and I, I was not a, a good person to be in the Marine Corps. <laughs> have you ever seen Stripes? I have. Well, was it kind of like that? I, there's a lot of talking back. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> thinks they're going to be the big man. But, right. Um, uh, but then I got my honorable discharge, you know? Yeah. So just one of those things that... And I still, there's still parts of me that I really like about myself that come from being a Marine. Mm -hmm. And so just, I, my mom passed away uh, winter of 2019. And I had to be the one to take her off of life support. Wow. um, Which is also down in Durango. Uh, And there's a sense of me that I lost a little bit of my indigenousness when she died because she was the Navajo one. She was the one that was from the reservation. She spoke Navajo. I don't speak Navajo. And uh, there's a sense that I have to learn how to come back to that as an adult. To, mm-hmm. I've, I, there's a sense that I feel orphaned culturally. And because of that, it's made me want to do Native projects and be around Native people. So... I'm the co-chair of the Denver American Indian Commission for the city of Denver. Put on one of the only Native American showcases for comedians in the country. Yeah. And there's going to be a sense that I, I, I'm still very much trying to learn how to figure out what being Native means to me post my mom's death. Yeah. That, that makes me sad, but I... I don't know if like I'm successful. I'm not successful, and I am successful. But like the, the failure and success, they're so temporary. They're temporary states of being. Mm. It's more about trying to build the, the the plant. You know what I mean? I'm trying to grow as a person, and try to be a better man than I was yesterday. Type of thing. I'm looking for. Those are the thing. Those are the projects that I'm looking for. Is that what's going to grow me? You're wise beyond your years. Oh, stop. For sure, <laughs> just a just a man that made a lot of mistakes and started making them. That's how you learn to do things right—is doing them wrong a lot. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. yeah, and I'm tired of the first. The, you know what I mean? I'm tired of that part. Let yeah. me get to the yeah. part where I can just do them right. <laughs> if you, I think if you stop failing, then you've stopped trying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The better you get at something, the more opportunities it opens, and then you get to be bad at those things until you're good at them. Yeah. What are your goals? Um, Uh, more scrunchies more scrunchies for sure (laughs) yeah I mean like a literal goal with the scrunchies is just to have merch that are just scrunchies that's a great idea with like you know one says Ashley one says Rachel one says you know Monica Mm. you know I think it'd be hilarious I think Mm. people will buy it Uh, the goal is the goal is for me I I think of myself as a lifer for, for comedy I'm only five years in but this is I've never found something that excites me it's so hard and it's so fun when you do it right and I've always thought of stand-up comedy as the hardest job harder than being like a neurosurgeon like there's nothing yeah I mean that's just so daunting 
it's just, it's just <laughs> the skills you have to develop and the way you develop them is insane because you have to work off of other people. Um, a great a, a metaphor you hear often is like the, the and part of the reason why comedians and musicians tend to like each other is that comics are people that are trying to play the audience. Like mm-hmm. the audience is 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 the instrument, and so you're learning how. To, and audiences are different, you know, from wherever whatever room yeah. you go to. It could be the same exact room, and different people are in it. And then, As yeah. somebody who's played, I don't know, three thousand concerts in my life, it's not nearly as hard it's not in the same universe as hard and the reason is that (laughs) people walk in and they want to have a good time and and they have drinks and they're like and they're already loud like the time when you go on stage like they're cheering and they want to continue that with stand-up i mean you the name of your project says it all i mean people are like almost expecting you to fail and a lot of people want you to fail. <laughs> like one thing that you'll see at a lot of shows is the guy that goes up and tries to make the bartender laugh during the middle of the show because they want to be the one on stage. Oh, I'm funny. You know, you'll see that a lot. Dude. How do you deal with hecklers? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, you have to control the room. You're the MC, And mm-hmm. if you lose control of the room, everything goes to shit. Yeah. And so the, the easiest way to deal with hecklers is to find a way that lets them know that you're in control. Yeah. And the problem with it is you got to do that in a way that allows everybody else to laugh. Yeah. Um, That's a skill. It's hard. (laughs) But it's it's one of you got to be quick. Like, just a quick joke and cleverness. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what's going to uh, allow you to... Everyone, because people are so tensed up, and that if you got something clever and something quick, it doesn't even have to be, uh, it doesn't even have to be insulting. It just has to be clever, yeah. And they'll all laugh, and then immediately once they all laugh, they're all on your side, yeah. You know, and so that, that's why you got to try crowd work when you can. Yeah, um, it's such a trapeze act and can ruin your, it can ruin the vibe, and that's why you got to do it so that when you when the opportunities come that really matter, you're able to walk that trapeze. And that's yet another reason why being in a band is not as hard as being a stand-up. Like, you're not really... Like, in the event that you did get heckled, you're so much louder than the heckler. You just start playing another song. Oh, man. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, sometimes you lose. Yeah, sometimes... Mm -hmm. Sometimes you... Like, it ruins the show. And that's... That's the L you gotta take. Sometimes it just ruins your set, and they're able to rebound from that. Yeah. Um, But... I've taken those L's before. <laughs> I've taken those those hits. And uh, when was your first time on stage? Like that sounds like an open mic in Durango, maybe. Yeah, open mic in Durango. Yeah. I was at this wine bar, um, February, like I don't know, like fifteenth ish, like right around mm-hmm. Valentine's Day, and uh, got up. I I told a story about oh yeah shampoo. Yeah, I uh, like about I was using horse man and tail at the time. I was like. Like, this shampoo is awesome. What else have these horses got right, you know? That was, like, my first joke I ever wrote. Um, and my second joke was about Drake, funny enough. <laughs> so, Do you remember what it was? Uh, just, uh, I was analyzing Drake lyrics. Mm. Uh, shout out to uh, any any starting com- comedians. Don't ever do jokes analyzing song lyrics. It's hack. Don't do it. It's a place a lot of people have gone to. 
don't do it. It's <laughs> it's it's do something else that's better and more clever and original. <laughs> Who are your stand-up uh, heroes? Patrice O'Neill. I've never heard of this person. Patrice O'Neill. I mean, he's problematic. So be careful. <laughs> be careful. The Comedy Central released a uh, documentary on him. If you want to learn more about, okay. Uh, but he he had his famous thing was uh, killing is easy. Um, so it's about like what type of honesty you want to have on stage because you you can get to like if you're good at it if you're a comedian mm. you can get to the point where you're making audiences you're just killing with every audience mm. and then you when you get past that point what are you doing and so that's mm. why I I always want to learn how to and it's been successful for me is like what what things do I want to talk about in society and make that funny yeah. um. Because finding that is uncomfortable, um, yeah. and then just I mean Sam Morell, Mark Norman, they're they're New York guys. Um, Stravos, um, uh, Stravos especially for his crowd work, uh, and, and then we have a whole bunch of people in Denver. Jeff Stonic, who's part of Dead Room, I has such an amazing likability on on and off stage, but especially on stage, that that you just trying to keep up with him and then. And then Michael Isaacs has such a, a a weird sense of humor and a great joke writing. Jose McCall has some of the tightest jokes ever ever written. David Borey, Derek Stroop, so loud. Um, learning how to use volume from from a guy like that that's been able to master that. Um, and then you have people like Adam Kate and Holland and uh, Sam Talent. Um, Adam Kate Holland, he started the Growlix and sort of the godfather of the independent scene out here, mm-hmm. at least as far as I understand it. And then Sam Talent is just such a such a force when you see him live that just learning how to uh, not create something from nothing, but to f- have that feel feeling of this is only for this show this act that i'm watching that's hilarious because right. he has he has material and he just does the material right in between his crowd work and you can't tell when he's doing either or mm-hmm. and he has great crowd work sensibility he came out of improv so he has great sense of in the moment being able, and then he has just the tools of like going from this side of the room to this side of the room yeah yeah so we're blessed in denver to have some of the best comics in the country and you can get funny to a place where you can be paid for it here in Denver before you ever go out to the coast. Yeah. So something else I'm noticing that musicians and comics have in common is, is that um, great musicians are all music geeks. It sounds like the great stand-ups are all <laughs> comedy geeks. I can't get enough of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Fifth and final album choice. Uh, Kanye West, baby. Uh, Life of Pablo. And that one. That one <laughs> was the last one I really liked. Uh, the other ones since then have been meh you know mm-hmm. that was the last one or the whole thing um he actually has like a, a pun about uh navajos in on that album too um and then wolves was sick um and that was one of the last that was one i listened to a lot during the breakup too and yeah. so this new evolution of josh as a comedian really came out of that breakup and it's now my one of my favorite parts of myself and so um yeah, so sometimes when I'm, uh, like I said, all all those albums that I mentioned, I like it because it reminds me that I've done interesting stuff or gone through mm-hmm. interesting stuff, lived lived a, a full life, and I'm going to continue to do that. So, 
And so when the zombies are at the door, you know, <laughs> you're going to want not only these albums, but the memories. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, life, life is always going to be uh, temporary, you know, so mm-hmm. zombies or, you know, cancer, it's, yeah. it's coming for you. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, what matters the most is the relationships and, and the moments we share with people, the love we create between each other. And, and grief is a part of that, too. Because when you care about something, it's temporary. And so enjoy it. Uh, be sad when it's gone. Continue to live on. Find new opportunities to create that love again. 31 years old. But, oh, but, you know, <laughs> wise beyond his years. Uh, yeah. So final question. Sure. I'm going to tack it on here. Um, so if, if, if this zombie apocalypse happens and you're escaping on your own and you got your five vinyl albums that you're kind of like you know carrying in your arms and you can take one other item that you can as long as you can carry it what item would you take uh an axe an axe <laughs> yeah because yeah, these zombies aren't gonna get me without a fight dog. Yeah. <laughs> all right yeah, life great. is temporary but i'm a human and i'm gonna try to live <laughs> until i'm yeah. ready to not live oh yeah plus i mean you could do it i uh yeah I love bushcraft and all that fun stuff. Axe is one of the most versatile tools. Even when it breaks, all you got to do is, you know, get a new handle, you know, mm-hmm. and a piece of metal. Yeah. You can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Joshua, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Um, not a Joshua Danger, so don't get don't get them uh, get them confused. I mean, you got Danger Emerson if uh, if, if you if you're freaky. Joshua if you're uh, uh, <laughs> sweet, I guess. I don't know. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you another hour, then I gotta run, I gotta fly away. That was my chat with the incredible Joshua Emerson of Dead Room Comedy. He'll be at Wonderland Brewing in Broomfield on Friday, March 17th, and Spirit Hound in Lions on April 7th, and just all over the place coming up. Josh is even the Colorado Mammoth Jumbotron dude a whole bunch this spring, so look out for him. Um, Thanks again for listening to Mile High Stash, and please do drop me an email at milehighstash at gmail.com with any questions, complaints, concerns, whatever i'm very concerned um if you're truly concerned you can deliver your concerns to me in person too on saturday april 1st at number 38 in denver um i will not be using a plunger on stage just fyi um until then i'll see you next monday as usual Passion for ever-changing eternal twilight